Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 11, verse 27. Short portion of Scripture we'll look at today. It says essentially this, Jesus is speaking. He has sent His twelve disciples out to minister in the various communities in Galilee region. He has been ministering to the multitude in Capernaum. In the last study we looked at together, Jesus had brought very, very scathing remarks to those towns and cities where he had been performing all of those miracles that he had been doing, and yet he said to them, Woe unto you. The reason? Because they didn't receive. They didn't believe. They didn't accept this one who called himself the Son of Man. They didn't look at him and realize who he is. The very Son of God sent to become their Messiah if they would receive him. But as Jesus said much later on in his ministry when he was in Jerusalem at the last of his days on this earth, looking at that city, Jerusalem, he said, Oh, how I long to cover you as a hen covers her chicks, but you would not. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their unbelief, because of their rejection of him. And so it is with many of the places that he has already been in, the region of Galilee, north of Judea, where Jerusalem stands, There was no excuse for them. And there's no excuse for anybody, whether they are Gentile or Jew, whether they are black or white, whether they are rich or poor, whether they are male or female, there is no excuse. God has revealed Himself through nature and through His Word and through His people that are on this earth proclaiming His Word of truth. Psalm 71 was read this morning. I love that psalm. It speaks very wonderfully to me, especially the part that says, Now that I am old and gray-haired, Lord, please, Lord, do not forsake me. Let me proclaim your strength to this generation, your power to all, everyone who is to come. And there are many, I believe, who are still yet to come. And so this word to us today is a very powerful word because it has to do with Jesus' invitation to come, to receive, to believe, and to bask in that wonderful blessing that is ours who have received Christ as our Lord and Savior. He invites all to come and to receive that wonderful blessing, that gift of salvation. And so he says in verse 27 of chapter 11 in Matthew's Gospel, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Now, if you stop there, you would believe, I think, that Jesus is saying, sovereignty of God. God chooses, God elects, God predetermines, God preordains, God foreknows, therefore, man doesn't have a choice in the matter. God chooses, brings all to Himself, and Jesus is saying, look, no one can come to the Father except by Me. He tells us that in the Gospel of John. He's saying the same thing here, but now He's going to append something of great importance because if you just leave it at the verse that we just read, you would believe that nobody has a real choice in the matter. But that's not the case at all. 
Election is a certainty. God does use the process that he describes, that we describe as election. But it's not limited to just the sovereignty of God. God allows the free will of man to be directly involved in that process where men and women can come to faith in Christ, not only because he has chosen us, yes, that is true, but because we have chosen him. Before we read the next portion of Scripture, I just want to focus on one thing. Jesus spoke a parable. And he talked about a wedding feast. And he said, the master of the feast sent out invitations. And the invitations were sent out, and the people who were receiving the invitations refused to accept them. Speaking primarily of the Jews, Jesus said, some had said, well, I'm busy that day, or I can't do it because they had excuses. So Jesus tells us in the parable, the master of the ceremony wanted his house to be full, and so he sends it out to a wider group of people. And still not enough came to fill the house. And he tells his servants, now go into all the byways, the highways, everywhere you can find. Look for anyone who will come until the house is filled. And so it was. The invitation had been made to all. And many came. Not everyone, but many came. It was an invitation to come. And then Jesus says about those who came that most of them were dressed in their wedding garments that were given to them by the Master so that they could attend the wedding feast in the appropriate wedding garment. But there was one who stood out among the whole crowd that was there, and that one did not have on that wedding garment that would have been provided to him. And the Lord says that one was pointed out by the master of the ceremony and said, Why are you not wearing that wedding garment? You have chosen to accept the invitation, but you also chose not to do what I have instructed. And as a result of that, Jesus tells us the master of the ceremony kicked that person out. And the point that Jesus was making is, many are chosen, but few are called. The ones who were called were the ones who put on that garment that was provided. The free gift of God is the salvation that He offers through Christ alone. And that's the garment that we put on. It's not our own. It's His garment. It's called the garment of righteousness. And we put upon ourselves His righteousness in exchange for our sins. So listen, people. He chose... But so did they. They chose to receive it or to reject it. And again, Jesus has already been talking about in this earlier portion of Scripture that we read last week that there were so many in those cities of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida who rejected His invitation. But there are some who would be willing to receive and to believe in what He was trying to tell them. And so in verse 28, we find the same thing that Jesus has already said to them in those cities, now to us as well in this place today. And those who were among the multitude who heard him speak these words. In verse 28, it says, come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take 
my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is so clear. He's making an open invitation. Come, all you. Not just a few, not just a few that I've chosen, but all of you. And the criteria is not your goodness, is not your strength, is not your well-being, your intelligence, your money. It is simply those of you who are burdened and heavy laden. And if you are willing to accept it, everybody has a burden that is overwhelming at least once in a while in our lives. Everybody has to carry a load on their shoulders that you don't want to have to carry, but you do because it's part of living. And everybody, no matter what your state is, you are having to deal with the burdens of life, the pressures of life. And so you cannot exclude anyone from this invitation. Jesus says, come, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's another place where Jesus talks about giving from him to us who believe. He talks about the fact that he is wanting to give peace. He says in John's Gospel, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you, but the world cannot give that kind of peace. Only Jesus is able to give that kind of peace that he's talking about in John's Gospel. And it is very much the same as what he's saying here with regard to the word, I give you rest from your weariness, from the load that you are carrying, from the burden that you have to be bearing. Jesus is saying that I want you, Jesus saying, I want you to be able to understand the simplicity of the gospel that if you receive what I am giving, you will find it to be a light load, no longer a burden upon you. But now that you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be at rest. Now the word rest and the word peace are synonymous. They are synonyms. They mean mostly the same. There's very little difference between the definitions of either of those two words, in the noun form at least. They both mean tranquility. They both imply contentment. They both imply satisfaction. They both imply the fact that you are no longer heavy laden with anything that causes you to be so overwhelmed with the things that occur in your daily living. Jesus is saying, I give you my rest. And just like he said in John's, I give you my peace. It means basically this. You don't have to deal with it anymore. You don't have to deal with frustration anymore. You don't have to deal with fretfulness anymore. You don't have to deal with anxiety anymore. You don't have to deal with the pressures of life, fearfulness, discouragement, disillusionment. You don't have to deal with any of those because he says, I give you my rest. Are you hanging on to his rest today? Do you understand what it means to receive that promise that he is giving here to his followers in that day and to you and me today in this present place? 
Again, let me read it a second time. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you believe the promise of Jesus here? Do you understand what he's saying here to you and to me? He's giving something that you cannot attain in your own strength, by your own abilities, in your own intellect. There's nothing that you can do to be at this kind of rest that Jesus is offering for free. Psalm 37 talks about the fact that you should not fret. Why? Because God is the one that you can put your trust in. God is the one that you can lay your burdens upon and let Him carry the load for you. Psalm 42, Psalm 43 talk about the fact that the psalmist was overwhelmed with all kinds of problems, but he came to the realization he doesn't have to be that way. He doesn't have to deal with life in such a way as this. So he asked the question, Why are you so downtrodden, O my soul? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Trust in God. And when you do, all of that which is troubling you will be as nothing to you any longer because you are in the presence of the Holy God who cares for you, who loves to give good gifts to you, who loves to care and take care of your every need. That's our God. That's the one who speaks these words. Come, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes didn't like this message from Jesus. They were also offering a yoke that Jesus is here offering a yoke. And we'll get to that in a moment. But that yoke that the Pharisees and scribes were offering was a burdensome yoke. It tells us that later in Matthew's Gospel. I'll read it for you out of chapter 23, where it talks about the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 2 of chapter 23 that sit in Moses' seat. They're sitting in the authority of the religious system of their day. It says, therefore, Jesus speaking, who or whatever they tell you to do, observe. Do those things that they tell you to do. It's part of the law. Jesus wasn't saying you don't have to obey the law. Jesus said, I did not come to, uh, to eliminate the law. I came to fulfill the law. But here he's saying, the scribes and Pharisees tell you what you should do according to the law. He says, do those things. But do not do according to their works. For they say, and do not do. What Jesus is saying is, they are like the ones who say, do what I say, not what I do. They don't do the things that they are requiring the general public to do. And Jesus is pointing that out to his disciples. But then he says this in verse 4 of chapter 23. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves do not move them with one of their fingers. So the scribes and Pharisees were good at telling people what to do, and it was a burden on the people, but they themselves would not carry that same load. Jesus says, my load is light. Their load was not. My burden is easy to bear. Their burden was not. Peter knows that in the book of Acts in chapter 15, when they meet together in the first council in Jerusalem, when they are disputing about the fact that Gentiles were coming to the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter stood up in that council and gives this wonderful message with regard to the fact that God has chosen to do something that they never had seen before, and it's a good thing. And so Peter is telling in that Jerusalem council, in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, 
Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he said to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter is saying, look, that yoke that the Pharisees and scribes had been putting upon us was a hard yoke. It was not easy to bear. And they recognize that fact, but they're realizing now that the yoke that Jesus is offering is a light and easy yoke, comfortable yoke. Now, Jesus fathered earthly dad, stepfather, if you will, was Joseph, and he was a carpenter. And carpenters in those days, most of the time, would be the ones responsible for making yokes for the oxen. And the yoke is a wonderful uh, picture, if you will, a metaphor of that which Jesus is talking about here. The yoke was intended to fit the oxen well. So the carpenter would take the time to make measurements and to cut out a piece of wood in a shape of a yoke that would fit upon the oxen that was the oxen in particular use by this farmer. And it needed to fit very well because you didn't want it to chafe the oxen. You didn't want it to make it hard for the oxen to plow a straight path. You wanted it to fit just right. And oftentimes, it could have been a single yoke for one, but oftentimes it was a yoke for two oxen so that they could both walk together in harmony and be able to pull the load without difficulty, without conflicting with one another. In fact, in the Old Testament Scriptures, part of the law speaks of the fact that a yoke that is made for two animals should never be used by different animals, animals of a different kind, like a mule and an ox, or a horse and a mule, because they're not of the same build, and because of their differences in size and power, a yoke upon those animals would not work. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament in Second Corinthians and talks about marriage as being a very, very important commitment between husband and wife together. As believers in Christ, that's the ideal marriage. For he goes on to say, Avoid being unequally yoked as a Christian with a non-Christian. So that imagery that is given in the Old Testament is applied by the Apostle Paul. It's also applied by Jesus here in this passage that we've been looking at in Matthew's Gospel. Because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I believe it's very much a possibility that Jesus is thinking of the double yoke where he also helps alongside you. Bearing His yoke can be done with Him beside you and you will, as a result, not have to bear the burden alone. There's so much wonderful pictures of help that Jesus is giving here. Take note, there are four words in this passage that I want you to perhaps underline in your Bible. First one is found in verse 28, the word come. Come unto me, 
All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The second word is found in chapter 11, verse 29, where it says, Take, take my yoke upon you. Take it. First come, receive what I have to offer. Then the word take, not only receive, but apply it. I'm offering you something, now make use of it. Take it. The third word is learn. In the second part of verse 29, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come, take, and learn. Those are important aspects of what we are to be doing as we follow Christ, as we trust in Him, as we read His Word, as we pray, as we seek His favor and His will in our lives. Come, take, learn. And then in the latter part of verse 29, He says, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you come, and if you take, and you learn, you will find. Those are principles that Jesus is here giving to all believers, everywhere, throughout the ages. The same thing applies to us in this age as it did to those disciples in that day. We are to first come, and then we are to take upon ourselves that yoke that He provides, that perfect yoke, that light yoke, and realize that once we do that, we will learn that He indeed is able to do what He has promised to all of us. And as we learn those truths about His faithfulness to what He has spoken, we can find rest. Now it's interesting to me, you know, you find the word rest in many, many different places in the Word of God. The very first place that you find the word rest is in regard to God Himself. In chapter 1 of the creation experience, in the book of Genesis, we're told that God created all things in six days. And what did He do on the seventh day? It tells us on the seventh day He rested. Now you can't ever think that God needed to rest because He was weary, tired, over whelmed by all of the hard work that he had done in those six days. That's not the case at all. His rest was not for the purpose of catching his breath and trying to be able to overcome all the pain of the hard work that he had just accomplished. That happens to you and me when we do things hard to do and then we suffer consequences. When we come to a place of rest, we say, wow, boy, I'm glad that's over. That's not the way it is with God at all. That rest that God is said to have in that experience was a rest of satisfaction. Satisfied that the things that He had done were very good. God saw that everything that He had created was very good. And He rested in that satisfaction of knowing that it was completed. And it's not for His benefit that He was resting, it's for our benefit. Because He later on uses that very thing with regard to the law, the commandments of Moses by God given to Moses has to do with that same rest that God had done and now gives to the people for exactly the same reason. It tells us that six days you should work. Exodus chapter 31, verse 15. For six days you should work. And then on the seventh day you should rest. Why? Because that day was a day of satisfaction. A day of knowing that you had completed the tasks 
that had been done over the course of the week and you are satisfied with the provision of your God and you rest in His wonderful provision for you that you can come and relax and enjoy the blessings that He has poured out upon you as you've labored for Him. And that rest is a rest that means do absolutely no work. The Pharisees and scribes took that and made it into a burden. They took the spirit of the law and turned it into a requirement of the law. And they said, you cannot do any servile work. Well, what does that mean? Well, they came up with all kinds of rules and regulations to define what it means to do work and what it means to not do work. They overdid their interpretation somewhat until it resulted in over 600 rules and regulations that they had to follow. If you wanted to be a follower of God as a Jew, you had to do a lot of stuff. And there really wasn't any time for rest. There really wasn't any opportunity for rest because you were so overwhelmed by the responsibilities of obeying every dot and tittle of the Word of God and you had to also obey all of the traditions of men that passed on their understanding of what the Word of God said until it became such a burden. And again, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, they made you bear a burden that they themselves could not or would not carry. And that's why Peter said, why are you doing the same thing with the Gentiles that we could not do ourselves? But there is a yoke. There is a burden that we do need to carry. But you don't ever have to carry it alone. That's why this imagery of a double yoke where Christ is also with you carrying that load. And I believe He's bearing the weight of it. So let Him. Let Him. You are not like Christ in that sense. But He's willing to come alongside and make you His equal. And in doing so, you have freedom. You have liberty. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have peace that passes all understanding. You have rest that's assured all believers because of His willingness to carry the load. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Turn back about ten chapters. is chapter 3. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, we read these words. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and you hear quoting from Psalm 95, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, 
tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have known, not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Oh, they were obedient to the Lord's command to observe the Sabbath and rest on the seventh day. But it says in Psalm 93 that those same people would not enter into His rest. What does He mean? It's because He had a rest for them that they did not anticipate, that they did not receive and believe in, that they did not know because of their unbelief, because of their rejection of His Word, because of their unwillingness to obey. You need to obey the Lord in order to receive the rest. They were not willing to do so. And the writer of Hebrews focuses on that very thing with regard to the Old Testament Scriptures. The people of God, the Jews who should have known, would not. And because they would not, they did not receive. So they had a failure in the wilderness. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as a result of that failure to believe. Verse 3 of chapter 4 continues in that same vein where the writer of Hebrews says, For we who have believed do enter that rest as He has said. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And by the way, that phrase, they shall not enter my rest, is repeated several times in this passage in the book of Hebrews. It would be good for all of us to focus our, some of our time in the days ahead on reading through chapters 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. He goes on to say in verse 3, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, God had finished the work, but they would not enter into the rest. God said, look, you don't have to work for this. It's already done. Just rest in it. So he says in verse 4, for if he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It's complete. It's done. It's finished. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not hearten your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not after would have spoken of another day. Joshua didn't give them that rest. Moses didn't give them that rest. David didn't give them that rest. Solomon didn't give them that rest. None of the prophets gave them that rest. There's only one who can and has and is willing to do so in our lives as well. If Joshua had given them that rest, there wouldn't have to be another day spoken of. In verse 9 it says, Therefore remains, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There is a rest for all of us. It remains. And how do we attain to it? He tells us in verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You don't have to be burdened by those weights of guilt, those difficulties of life. You don't have to be burdened by the sins that you have committed. You don't have to be burdened by the guilt that you feel, the unforgiveness, the hardships that you face. You don't have to be burdened 
by the troubles surrounding us in this world. You don't have to be burdened by the financial conditions that you're facing, the struggles that you're dealing with in your families, in your homes. You don't have to be burdened. Let it go. Be at rest. The work is finished. He did everything that's necessary for you and for me at the cross. He bore that shame. He bore that burden upon Himself. And He still bears that burden for you today. Cease from your works as God did from His. And then in verse 11 of chapter 4 says it very, very wonderfully well. Let us therefore be diligent. That means earnestly seeking after. That means work harder at this. That means don't give up on this. Be diligent to enter that rest. Don't be diligent to try to solve all your problems. Don't be diligent to try to figure out a way to work things out. Be diligent to enter His rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience as the Old Testament saints that He spoke of earlier. Be diligent to enter the rest. When Jesus said, I give you rest, He meant rest that is so satisfying, so wonderful, so complete. That's, I believe, why Paul could say, I've learned to be content in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I've learned to be content no matter what my estate. I've been content when I've abounded in many things. I've been content when I've had nothing. I've learned to be content. And I have emphasized more than once, and I think that many of you may remember this comment that I'm about to make. You need to learn to be content. If Paul needed to learn, it's something that is a process. It, every one of us should be willing to learn how to be content. And when you learn how to be content, you won't have struggles that weigh you down. You won't have disappointments, disillusionments. You won't have fear. You won't have anxiety. You won't be fretful. You won't be frustrated. You won't be in despair of your life because God has given you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me and you will find rest for your souls. But you first need to come. It's an invitation. Have you come? Have you received by faith that invitation that He has sent out to you? There's an invitation to a wedding feast. Everybody is invited. Everybody's been sent the invitation made out specifically to you, to me. Come. Come. Oh, please come. Enter His rest today if you have not done so. It's so worth it. It's so needed in a time like this. Yeah, there's troubles all around us. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's pestilence. There's famines all over the world. There are troubles. There are signs that Jesus spoke of that are happening now in this present hour. Do you realize what time it is? 
come. Before it's too late, come. Because the invitation is limited. Not to anyone, but it's limited in the sense that the time is short.